0: No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply.
1: Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi
2: Jasser, and welcome back to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Your faithful. American Muslim Patriot joins you every week. Thank you for being with me. Thank you for subscribing. And if this is your first time listening, I hope you enjoy hearing from not what I like to believe is a voice in the wilderness, but one of the few voices willing to speak up from a position of tough love within the Muslim community, but also a position of true love of the American freedom American Constitution, and the need to defend our principles of liberty against Islamist theocracy. On this program, I try to bridge the broad divide between the Islamist world and the land of freedom and liberty. And since we last talked last week, there has sadly been another spate of attacks upon our nation, two major attacks. One multiple bombs placed in New York, as I'm sure many of you have heard this week done by a radicalized Afghani Muslim who decided to place bombs on multiple locations in New Jersey and in New York City. These bombs were clearly the type that were used And the first World Trade Center bombing, uh, the uh, I'm sorry, not the first bombing, but the first attempt at one with the Times Square bomber and Faisal Shahzad, who tried a pressure cooker bomb. And then the Boston bombing with the Tsarnaev brothers, who used a pressure cooker bomb. And these were multiple pressure cookers that were found, placed apparently by this Mr. Rahani. And his wife was found in UAE trying to escape, had left the country a few days earlier. So per the profile, it appears that the couple was involved together. But we'll see what she has to say now that the uh, Emirates have uh, captured her and will likely have her returned. And then we had another attack this week in a mall in St. Cloud, Minnesota, in which a ISIS operative... Decided to take a knife and stab nine victims and then declare his jihad, ask them if they were Muslim, was clearly quoted as citing Allah and jihad during his rampage in this softest of targets at a mall. How much of this are we going to sustain? How much of this before these attacks wake up Muslims to what we need to do or start pushing Americans to the tipping point of locking down our society into protection mode versus our continued normal normalcy that we've had? Or will we become like Israel where attacks happen on a weekly basis and God forbid it becomes sort of a new normal The Minnesota attacker was named Dahir Adan, Somali native, a radicalized Somali who then ISIS released a statement claiming him as a soldier of their movement and identifying his actions as part of their operations. Now, was it stimulated from abroad or did he just act and now they're taking credit for his activities? But his act of terror was clearly not only treasonous and barbaric, but part of the ISIS operation, as that's what he declared, no different than Omar Mateen did. Rouhani in New York is not speaking. He has locked up and is not cooperating with police, and we don't know what he's doing. You know, I'll let you get the rest of the news details on these two horrific incidents that have, again, made my phone ring off the hook with news agencies and others wanting the opinion of what they feel as a rational Muslim who seems to address the problems. And my heart just gets tighter and tighter squeezed after every one of these. Because we have a serious problem within the House of Islam, and we still, after every one of these, the media untangles the details. As if somehow the narrative of Rahani's, domestic violence, how he stabbed his brother, how his dad claimed he was a terrorist, and the FBI came and interviewed him. Every one of these guys seems to have had some interaction with the law, either legal or criminal, or interactions with the FBI and been interviewed and then released. So the hand-wringing will continue, and did they miss signs? But I'll tell you, listen, listen folks, if there's one thing you get from this podcast... The violent extremism, that waiting for that last moment when the Rahanis, the Omar Mateens, the Dahir Adans, that Somali from Minneapolis, or the St. Cloud area. We wait. Could they have predicted when Adan was going to pick up the knife and go into the mall? And there was no sign of him being violent before that. So... Because the issue is not the violence. The issue is the supremacism, the Sharia supremacism that is before it, in which they view our society as hedonist, as secular, as un-Islamic. They view every citizen as a warrior against them because they do not view them as human. They dehumanize a society that isn't run by their interpretation of Sharia law or any Sharia and thus making the world into Dar al-Islam, the land of Islam and the land of war, Dar al-Harb. And that's how they divide the land and the world. So, all of a sudden, these vulnerable individuals, and yes, I'll call them vulnerable, either because of psychiatric issues, because of pensions towards violence. You'll see some of them, they seem to have a pattern in which their security officers, Omar Mateen at the Orlando Pulse Club, Massacre was a a security officer. They seem to have a pattern, as was, by the way, Rahani. They also seem to have a pattern of families that are either anti-American or dabble in foreign national politics. As we saw with Omar Mateen, whose father claimed to be running for president in Afghanistan and had YouTube videos wanting to end the border between Pakistan and Afghanistan and Waziristan. So there is some significant commonalities. But yes, is there some type of derangement underlying them? Maybe. But that's not what causes them to act. The virus finds a susceptible host and might make them militant. But the vast majority of Muslims infected with the virus of political Islam, Islamist supremacism, Sharia law, a belief just like the communists hated our system and the socialists don't like our system, the Islamist theocrats don't like our system. And that's the virus. And within that virus, once it gets into vulnerable people, vulnerable violently, it can then turn on to make them commit acts of barbarism. But the difference between the Omar Mateens and the regular Islamist Muslim Brotherhood movements is very little. It's only about means. The inspiration, the toxin, the intoxicant that makes them feel a a sense of belonging to a movement globally is about their faith, their sense of entry to heaven. It's not derangement of violence. A few of them are the ones that get operationalized and they may become violent, but the bigger, the deeper global and domestic problem is the cauldrons, the swimming pools in which these guys are floating. Some may pluck out and dive out to commit acts of violence, but the vast majority that are the bigger threat, just like a few Drunks may become threats in a car who decide to grab keys and don't have the wherewithal to remember not to drive. The vast majority of Islamists, the vast majority of moderate and significant drinkers may not get in a, in a car and drive drunk. But that doesn't make them not participating in the same intoxicant or the same supremacism. So, this is the issue. And every time we have one of these attacks, we don't talk about it. None of the CNN, CBS, ABC, they're doing analysis of these individuals. Now for the next two weeks, we're going to hear about Rahani climbing up and his, his family history and how his dad talked to the FBI. These are all sort of last final steps. It's like telling me how the lung cancer patient, how they acted in hospice when we're not talking about the smoking for 20, 30 years. And the smoking is the Islamism, the sense of hate for the West, the anti-Semitism, the homophobia, the ideas that Rahani felt drew him away from the society. The smoking is the grievance mongering. And I think this is one of the messages I want to be clear is that if we're trying to reform Islam interpretations that lead to this, one of the primary radicalizers in our community is the grievance mill, the grievance mongering mill. And when we come back, I want to I want to talk to you about what that's doing to our work in the Muslim reform movement and how the grievance mill directs, misdirects America away from the problem. It it is a major obstacle in the Muslim community and prevents the work that we need to do. Thank you for joining me so far, and when we come back, we'll talk about the role from the president on down in victimology. Racializing Islam and preventing the the deep reforms that are so long overdue. This is Zudi Jasser, and I'll be right back.
1: Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network
0: No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply.
1: This is Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This
2: is Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another segment of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Faithful. American Muslim Patriot, trying to give you a little sample of the ideas that we try to reform at their epicenter, and how that reform needs to happen, but what the obstacles are. And after every attack, the country comes together, it unites, it creates a remembrance of what we stand for. We try to make sure that the lives lost, those injured whose lives have been changed forever, are not lost for naught. And we also try to use that energy to direct us towards solutions to prevent these from happening. And sure enough, the blame game will go around. Do we blame the FBI? Do we blame the police? Do we blame the mosques? Do we blame... Muslims, and I can tell you as an American Muslim, I'm going to start with my own faith, my own community, and try to figure out how to stop this from happening, because at the core of this issue is that this is a Muslim problem that needs a Muslim solution. And if you look in Minneapolis, there have been over 40 Somali refugees, Somali immigrants, and their families, 40 individuals that have gone to fight with al-Shabaab, Al-Qaeda, and some with ISIS. The flavor, the name of the month of these organizations may change, but the core ideology is Salafi jihadism. It operationalizes individuals that believe in political Islam. I wanted to talk to you especially about the motivation of the grievance mill and how that drives them into separationism, how it drives the Islamist Mindset of us versus them, of land of Islam versus land of war. How it drives them away from nationalism and belief that America is the best system in the world. How their families, the tribal network, creates a microcosm in their mind that this country is against them. And rather than our Muslim organizations working to teach them that the American exceptionalism includes... A Muslim consciousness that's equal to others, that our children can feel that home is not Pakistan or Afghanistan or India or Syria or Egypt, that home is America, home is St. Cloud, home is New Jersey, Elizabeth, New Jersey, home is New York, but no. They're taught that this country doesn't have their values, so therefore it is not their home. They're taught that this legal system is not Sharia, so therefore it's not their legal system. They're taught that the conspiracy theories of the government are against them. And they get reassurance from the left. They get reassurance from leaders, Secretary of Homeland Security last podcast, I called him Homeland Insecurity Secretary, went to the Islamic Society of North America just a week ago to speak to 20, 30, 40,000 Muslims in one convention to tell them that in this country, their plight today is like the plight of the African-American community under the Jim Crow era, quote, unquote. And then you see Rahani's family Their business of uh, First Chicken Express or whatever it was called decided to sue the city of administration in the city that they are in, New Jersey, and the police for discrimination, for inappropriate, what they felt was discriminatory application of curfew laws. And fine, maybe they were discriminated against. uh, uh, um, I don't know but the bottom line is is that what gets drilled into their mind is that this discrimination identifies not a few bad officers if it's true I, I you know my sense is most of the time a lot of these cases are exaggerated like the flying imam case from 2007 in which the imams at the airport decided to sue the airlines in a exaggerated trumped up case that Yes, they might have been taken off the airplane inappropriately, but at the end of the day, they were doing things that were just completely idiotic. Decided to pray in a group prayer at a gate. I've been traveling for uh, um, 40 plus years in airplanes, and I don't remember seeing that, let alone post 9-11. And I saw it in the Middle East where they had prayer rooms for Jews, Muslims, and Christians where you could do that, but not at the gate. So they sued and then ultimately created this mantra from sermon to sermon across the country as they settled an undisclosed amount. Did that money get used to create counterterrorism centers? No, we don't know what happened to the money with the imams here in Phoenix and, and elsewhere that settled that lawsuit. But this family in New Jersey had a suit in 2011, and I think it's germane to what we're talking about because this victimology mindset is what creates a community, a sense of not belonging, a sense that, well, the Democrats, the left will protect our rights, and it's not about left-right politics, but that's what the political dynamic or the axis of every issue ends up being about left versus right, and they use Muslims in a bigotry of low expectations to fulfill their sense that the Muslims will vote for them. American Muslims will vote in order to protect their existence and their freedom. And forget whether we have our own problems to treat. Forget whether many of the Muslims that Obama goes and visits at a mosque in Baltimore where the women and men are separated and he ignored their misogyny, just like Prime Minister Trudeau went to a mosque in Canada that was a fundamentalist Salafi mosque where he couldn't even see the women. They were up up upstairs and he said, To the sisters upstairs, I welcome I'm thank you for your welcome. In a in a patronizing kind of lack of equal way. And that separation is something that needs to be confronted head on. And if we are going to reform against the Islamism that separationism, that's where you start. You start by demanding that Muslim communities that we visit be ones that equal representation as defended for men and women and where they have women on their board in which they have women that are allowed to pray side by side maybe left versus right don't have to be hip to hip but left versus right why with curtains where they can't even be heard or see the imam that's germane to what creates the milieu of terrorism and violence because once they're separate in their societies once our communities are separated out from a society that they view as hedonistic in the way that it mixes men and women, then it becomes a Saudi Arabia inside an America. And that Saudi Arabia inside of America becomes a cauldron internally that will radicalize Muslims. No different than Saudi Arabia radicalizes Muslims to become ISIS operatives. ISIS's operating procedure is a legal system no different than the Saudi legal system. And it should not be a surprise that 15 of the 16 hijackers back from 9-11 were Saudi. And sure enough, ISIS has now arisen as a terror state that Saudi Arabia claims they're against, which they are because their corporate type of ISIS state is very different than the grassroots viral chaotic ISIS state that Baghdadi has. But... Their inspiration, the pool that they drink from, is the same. So if you look at the mosque that Rahani went to, it was the Muslim Community of New Jersey mosque. And as Ryan Morrow reported in the Clarion Project, he said, while his attendance was inconsistent, the imam is an official with the Islamic Circle of North America. And the Muslim Community of New Jersey mosque while it condemned his act of terror, its director, Asif Harani, is an official with ICNA, ICNA, a known Diobandi group, which is the Pakistani origin version of the Muslim Brotherhood. They have significant leadership elements of Yusuf Qardawi, a known Sunni ideologue, supremacist of the Muslim Brotherhood movement, at least inspires the Muslim Brotherhood movement. And ICNA was derived from the Jama'at Islamiyya Party of Pakistan, the Diobandi Islamist Supremacist Movement. Their 300-page guide, as Ryan lays out, tells ICNA supporters that some of the pioneers of the movement include Hamas financier Yusuf Qardawi. And on and on. They're tightly wound to the uh, ideology of Yusuf Qutb and others. So, When you look at how to prevent these, we have to understand the connection, the the intoxicant of the iknas of the world, the isnas of the world, the Muslim Brotherhood movements that might not be violent, but once in a while you see a militant come out of that milieu, it's a combination of two milieus. One, the grievance narrative that separates them out and makes them focus as victims and forget all the deep work they have to do with reform and modernization. And number two, the deep Islamist ideology of of Islamist movements here that are Muslim Brotherhood legacy groups and the Iqnas and ISNAs, the acronyms of Muslim groups that are all part of the progeny of the original Muslim Student Association from the late 60s and progeny of Petro-Islam in the West. So, knock it off, Secretary Johnson, with the insulting bigotry of low expectations. How many of these whack-a-mole incidents and many of them that we miss and, and place these bombs do we need before you all realize that your grievance exaggerations are actually radicalizing our community. Your empowerment of grievance groups like Muslim Advocates and the Council on American Islamic Relations and the Muslim Public Affairs Council and others that are simply exaggerators of the plight of Muslims in America actually then deviates us from what we should spend most of our time on, which is Muslim reform against political Islam and separation of mosque and state. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This, and I'll be right back.
1: Breaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser.
0: Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glenbeck.com/slash liars.
1: This is Dr. Zudi Jasser.
2: This is Dr. Zudi Jesser. Welcome back to another segment this week of Reform This, your faithful American Muslim patriot. Our prayers to the families of those injured who suffered another terror attack in St. Cloud and also in New York and New Jersey. These are getting closer, more frequent, and the virus of radical and political Islam continues to spread. And I hope if there's nothing we learn also this week, look, in Minneapolis and Minnesota, there has been no region that has, I think, had more money dumped into it by Homeland Security for counter-radicalization and engaging the community than that area. And by the way, again, just look it up. Look at the Council on American Islamic Relations, or better called American Islamist Radicalization, and see what they've said in response to these I think, already profoundly neutered programs called CVE, Countering Violent Extremism, which should be CVI. If they were not neutered, they would be real, which is Countering Violent Islamism. But no, they didn't like that at all. They sent a message, their Somali community head of CARE, Minnesota, who got a a bunch of workers in Colorado to lose their jobs because he had them walk off the assembly line because they couldn't pray five times a day and cause chaos in an assembly line as they try to do so. Only to 30, 40 days later have them beg to get their jobs back. This same guy now has been protesting the CVE programs in Minneapolis. And sure enough, here we have an attack from a radical. And sure enough, we've had 40 go and fight with Shabab in Somalia and ISIS and other places. So, the thing to learn here is that the program is just not working. The community is not engaged. They're actually trying to engage the arsonists, those who are spreading the ideas that radicalize our community. So, when you're trying to fight fires, you don't engage the arsonists. And that's what we're doing at Homeland Security. And Minnesota should prove that. How many times do we need to prove This isn't just one guy that got through and tried to kill nine in St. Cloud. No. This is over 40 that have gone. This is a failed program. This is programs that are being rejected by the leadership, which should prove that it's not the programs that are bad, but rather the leadership they're engaging that need to be marginalized and ignored. And the programs actually need to be tougher. We need to engage Muslim reformers. And there are folks in the Somali community that we've talked to that barely have the funds they need in Minneapolis. A friend of ours in the reform movement, Omar, who's from there, has tried to get some of this done. Another Somali featured in the New York Times did cartoons talking about kids that should emulate the Prophet Muhammad in fighting radicalism and extremism. These are not care programs. These are countering violent Islamism programs that nobody hears about. And they're in that area, but completely underpowered. That's what we should be having a conversation about right after these events. No, what we're hearing about is George Soros in Europe deciding to dump half a billion dollars into helping refugees. And I think from a humanitarian perspective, that's laudable. But that money's not going to go to teaching them German or French nationalism or teaching them secular law and how to reject and reform Sharia law that they bring with them or their tribalism or their inability to critique tribal clerical leaders. No, that's just going to go to give them food and shelter and institutionalize their grievances and racialize their identities and prevent any criticism of Islam and Islamism and actually empower ideas like Islamophobia. That's what we see happening with Media Matters, Center for American Progress, and other far-left think tanks with Soros money behind it. That's what's going to happen. But it's not just the Soros Foundation. But Corporations now, many in Europe, are lining up to help these refugees, and that's great. We have all of us, especially those of us who are from Syria, have family that are affected by this, and we thank them for their humanitarian passion and compassion. But I have to tell you, if you really want to love the refugee population, we love all of them, not only Muslim, but Christian, Yazidi, atheist, secular, Druze, and others. We give them tough love and expect them to, if they're going to come to America or France or Canada, they need to embrace our values first and foremost. We should not be engaged in a national fratricide where we let people come in who reject our values and want to destroy it either from within in a civilizational jihad or spread evangelically their ideas of da'wah or Islamic spread of their military of their pre-militant, the precursors of political Islam. And that's where we've been weak. We've been ignoring the precursors. We've been ignoring the non-violent jihad that becomes violent jihad. We've been ignoring the non-violent anti-Semitism that becomes anti-Semitic violence against Jews and the non-violent homophobia that becomes violence against the gay community. The nonviolent misogyny that becomes honor violence and honor killings. On and on. This week we found German Chancellor Angela Merkel doing a mea culpa on the some million, I think, refugees that she accepted into her country, saying that if I could turn back time for many, many years to better prepare for this. Why is that? Well, she sees her political hide at stake. And she saw the sonic boom that she accepted. But still, they don't realize that the the reason the people are responding, as they did in Brexit, with a national identity response, is the, the influx of those coming in are not just simply refugees. These are not political refugees. They are simply escaping a war. And when you accept refugees, you should only accept political ones that believe in your system over the one they left. Or provide camps that allows them to stay until they go back. And they can go anywhere, not just Germany, but they should go to Saudi Arabia or other countries that maybe they share their values with. But no one's talking about ideological vetting, and our Muslim reform movement has a two-page declaration that could be used. In one of these podcasts a few weeks ago, as you may remember, I did a mock interview with a Abdul, who I think could have been used as sort of a template of how to start some of these conversations. But unfortunately, the huge influx, too fast, too many, is dividing these countries and is going to start to create war on the streets. And I think that's what's happened in New York and elsewhere. Now, I know, I know, uh, Rahani was an Afghani citizen of America, of of Afghani origin. Adan in, in Minnesota also had been here many years and was radicalized here in America, was not a refugee. None of these have been Syrians. So on the one hand, I think that's important to highlight because it should tell you that When they're coming here, I believe they realize the beauty that is America, that is giving them freedom, that they can't get in their own country. But then when they get here, they get swooped up by the Islamists, by the CARES and the MPACs and the Muslim advocates, and the IKNAs, the Islamic Circle of North America. They get swooped up by them and told... The old conspiracy theories, they get swooped up by these groups that are working with foreign governments like Iran and Saudi Arabia, hand in hand, and apologizing and teaching them their Wahhabi, Salafi jihadism, the mentality of separatism, the hate for Western systems. And the rest of us secularists, us reformers, don't have the organizational capacity to bring these immigrants in, so slowly... The mosques they go to, the Islamic organizations that claim to speak on their behalf and defend their rights, end up radicalizing them, while the White House from the bully pulpit and the Secretary of Homeland Security and others also radicalize them by telling them that they are treated like third-class citizens in this country that's no longer wonderful and great, but in a country that has hashtag Black Lives Matters movements happening and, and Hashtag clock boy and all these other grievance mills that are exaggerated. They're never reminded of the beauty of the freedom and the constitution that is unparalleled in any Muslim majority country. And it radicalizes them. It starts them on that stage, first stage of self-identification with the jihadi movement. And these are all stages of jihadism. You go from being at home and watching it to going into the field onto the st- in the stands of the stadium and cheering it, and then onto the field as a jihadi. And not all of them end up on the field. Most of them stay at home. Some of them end up in the stadium, and a few of them end up on the field. But the jihadism, the jihadization is clear. And the NYPD report on radicalization in the West did talk about that. I have copies of it. It's available online somewhere, but despite it being removed from the public space because, again, of these grievance groups that don't want us talking about using terms like jihadization or Islamization. And this week I testified to the House Homeland Security Committee, Subcommittee on Oversight Management, about why these terms are important and why identifying the Islamist ideology is key. This is Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network and your faithful program, Reform This. We'll be right back.
1: You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser, the Blaze Radio Network. Coming up today on Pat and Stu. Yeah,
0: and do we know if he's on Tinder? We don't. Snapchat, 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 I Snapchat. That's, Instagram. That's, that's, I know. That's where he should be, though. Should, at least correct. Snapchat, delete your freaking that, messages, that, Anthony. And that's what I was thinking when I was trying to get through this morning. We never had a chance for the radio show, but you'd think, okay, even he would say, okay, they're after me on Twitter. I could go over here. Pat and Stu, weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser, the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to our last segment this week of Reform This. I hope
2: we pray we never have to have a conversation again after an attack on our homeland or an attack abroad against any innocents by an act of Islamic terror. But at the end of the day... I know, you know, we all know that this problem is only growing. It's not going away. They're getting closer together. And the reason is, as a doctor, I know you don't treat the disease, the symptoms will get worse. You don't cure the cancer, you don't cure the root cause. You can try to cover the symptoms as much as you want, and you're going to get nowhere and the patient will get sicker. We are getting sicker. Muslim radicalism is increasing exponentially, and our societies are more and more at risk. Our largest agency of government, Department of Homeland Security, is under-equipped, looking in the wrong places, missing the signs it should be paying attention to. Why? Because the folks whispering into their ears are Islamist apologists. The Americans whispering into their ear are Muslims who are in denial or part of foreign apologetic operations that believe that for Muslims Islamic states should reign and they just disagree with the militancy of the ISIS and Al-Qaeda's of the world, but they have some type of glorified belief in what the caliphate and the Islamic state can be. Meanwhile, the only solution for mankind is the empowerment of secular liberal societies, the empowerment of Muslims who believe and love their faith but reject the Islamic state, reject the Sharia state, reject the any form of caliphate and violent jihad and apostasy and blasphemy laws. That's the only solution for mankind. So... What I wanted to leave you with in this last segment is hope. There is hope. That hope, though, is going to have to be encapsulated in a strategy. After every one of these, we need to not only react to this one guy and his family in New York, this one guy and his family and his how ISIS got to him. He was not radical. You know, maybe online he was operationalized. Maybe Rahani by traveling to Pakistan, became militant. Not maybe, probably. But the soil of fertility for Islamism was planted in his soul for years by his family, by his interpretation of Islam, by his hate for America. All of that put together created a milieu that created a guy that led to domestic violence, that created a guy that then became susceptible to militancy and operationalization into the jihad. A militant jihad. Oh, he was on a jihad for decades, and that's what we have to fight. We as American Muslims need to fight that. So, as we go on from this forward as a nation, the 99% of us out there of you out there that are not Muslim, need to begin to demand that the terminology completely shift to a theopolitical one where we identify Salafism, Jihadism, the Ummah, Ruddah, Khalifa, all these Arabic words of caliphate and apostasy, and blasphemy need to be understood by Americans and westerners no different than we understood what we were fighting in the cold war so number 1 is understand the terms number 2 understand the groups and the movements they may not call themselves muslim brotherhood in america they may not call themselves hamas but understand the movements of islamist ideological movements and what they are do not make them illegal do not shut down their mosques no different than we don't shut down nazi party posts or Uh, Communist Party operations, but we monitor them. It'll become a lot harder to monitor them if you push them underground. So, but understand them. If they're violent and have weapons like they did in France when they shut down three mosques in Paris after the attacks, that's good, shut them down. But if there are no weapons, do not shut them down, but monitor them. The monitoring programs of mosques and other Islamic institutions needs to happen. Not illegal wiretaps, but public monitoring. It's not profiling. That is appropriate analysis and understanding of areas in which the incidence of radicalization is much higher than it would be at an Italian deli. The Arabic Middle Eastern deli is going to have a much higher incidence of traversing future Islamist militants. That's not anything we should be ashamed of. Those are public establishments. Nobody's putting mics in there to tape things, but... Police officers on the beat, granular work should include knowing those communities better than they know the other ones. So put back into place the mapping programs and monitoring programs in which the police understood these communities better. Because otherwise it is absurd to hold them accountable to the precursors of radicalization. So number one, monitoring, understanding the groups, that's number two. Number one was the terminology. Number three is putting resources into a campaign to teach liberty, security, and operationally not just countering the violence, but promoting the national ideas of patriotism and bonding to a system that gives them the right to be Muslim, to be free, and reject theocracy teach constitutionalism, teach the First Amendment, teach national identity to immigrant communities, and not with the hand-holding of CARE or MPAC or other Islamist groups like the Islamic side of North America. Marginalize those groups. Use Muslim reform-minded groups that are in the 21st century to lead those programs. Those are the three things. Then... Corollaries to that, engage the business community to counter the petro-Islamic dollars. Without engaging that community, we are being decimated by petro-Islamic dollars from domestic and globally from Saudi. And now they're opening the floodgates of Iranian money that is going to even further push us underground and drown us. Next is engage media. Give reformist platforms so that our voices are equal to the Islamists that are on NBC, ABC, CBS that are just saturating the grievance bandwidth instead of actually owning up to what we need to reform. Have us have equal debates with them, frequently platforms that are equal and measured and countered so that we exist as much as they do. That's real diversity, ideological diversity. Next, the sixth plank is academia we need to empower academia to have these debates, Lincoln-Douglas debates between Muslims that are reformers and those that are Salafi jihadists. Not necessarily the militant ones, they're not going to be openly militant, but the ones like the ones that signed that God-forsaken letter to Baghdadi, which was signed by all the Muslim Brotherhood imams, most of them, and basically said, well, Baghdadi doesn't get jihad right, but here's how you do jihad. Baghdadi doesn't get the caliphate right, but the caliphate's mandatory and here's how you do it. That's not reform, that's an apologetic in which they just don't like the method of his madness. So, have us have academic debates with them. Eighth plank, engage the interfaith community, not in kumbayas, but in critical, critical analyses between Jewish, Christian, Muslim, Baha'i, hindu buddhist all the faith communities to engage and demand that muslims discuss why we are different why we reject other faiths but what we believe that makes them feel that we can be part of the social contract of american constitutional law and how it is that our interpretations of sharia are not at odds with the american system and that can be and should be done theologically best through interfaith, real critical interfaith engagement. And lastly, in the educational system, we need to, in the lower grades, engage our communities in, in civic education of what the government is, national identity is, Muslim communities especially, as much as they may have great educations, are not getting a understanding, I believe, because of the propaganda fed by their families and others of the reality of what it means to be american and the best evidence for this i can tell you and i wrote a piece on this seven eight nine years ago about why are more muslims joining the u.s military and dhs and others and it's because of the stigmatization of the american government by internal tribal muslim media domestically or abroad as many of our families end up watching al jazeera Syrian government TV, Egyptian government TV, etc., while they live here. So engage communities on civic programs that teach them the beauty of this Constitution and why the American public is not only have the best government and the best legal system, but the most moral military and society, I believe, on the planet. And I would also add one other thing, which is do not change the identity, the immigrant identity of America. Yes, we should vet and keep America safe against our enemies. No, we should not let any Islamists in. And that would then allow more Christians, Yazidis and others to come in. Because the Islamists are probably 20 to 30 percent. But we should not change what it means to be American. That immigrant identity is our core identity that is who we are as Americans, and that is what Americanism is. That is the best counter to Islamism, is a true definition of what anti-theocratic Americanism was for the Founding Fathers. That's my guide for the week. I hope you take these 10 things and share them and spread the word. Listen to this again after the next act. I'm sure I'll talk about it again. God forbid there be another one, but I fear these are getting closer together and there will be more. But you have to work with both. As much as some in the Muslim community can be our greatest enemies, we are also your greatest assets. This is Zudi Jasser. Thank you for joining me. and God bless America and God bless you all on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: Reform this with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.